I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki. And we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people. Or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. The world we inhabit is not as free, or certain, or safe as you might think. The things that you believe to be unassailably evident are little more than shadows dancing behind a curtain. A masquerade, crafted, and dutifully upheld by an organization known as the Foundation. The file you are about to hear contains containment procedures, descriptions, testing logs, historical and in some cases first-hand accounts of the anomalous objects the Foundation serves to secure, contain, and protect. Its contents have been thoroughly scrutinized by the Ethics Committee and approved by the O5 Council for release to trusted associates of the Foundation. This is SCP Unredacted. From the Office of the Acting Director. This file is presented unabridged due to the unresolved and potentially catastrophic state of its subject. I have elected to spare no details, as an explanation continues to elude our foremost experts and the subject matter lies well beyond the bounds of my own expertise. Updates to this file will continue until either the problem has been solved or the universe unravels. Dr. Bradley Fellows, Acting Director, Provisional Site 232. Item Number SCP-6836 Level 4, Secret Containment Class Pending Special Containment Procedures Access to SCP-6836 for testing purposes is permitted to all qualified personnel, but transits involving any objects, living or otherwise, are to be carried out only under the supervision of Acting Director Fellows or MTF Captain Gallant. Unauthorized transits risk a potential, large-scale, uncontrolled nuclear fusion event. The anomaly is located in a standard containment cell that was erected around it subsequent to its appearance. Decommissioning of the anomaly may be possible via structural damage to the wall to which it is affixed, though this is unverified. Attempts to physically relocate the anomaly are also likely to result neutralization. Due to its intangibility, the anomaly's terminus does not require containment, but is to be kept under constant surveillance by MTF Epsilon-129, Queen's Highwayman. Investigation into the anomaly's origin and purpose is ongoing, and should be considered high priority as failure to resolve this anomaly could result in outcomes ranging from nothing at all to the total dissolution of reality along all linked timelines. Description SCP-6836 is a rectangular aperture in the east wall of Utility Corridor Ground 1E of the Strathroy Caradoc Plaza Mall. The aperture is approximately 2 meters tall and 1 meter wide. 
attempts to measure any depth have been unsuccessful, and it has been tentatively concluded that the anomaly does not meaningfully interact with the third spatial dimension. The anomaly opens to neither the interior nor the other side of the corridor wall, as would typically be expected of such an aperture. It instead opens immediately onto a sidewalk in the city of Mississauga, baseline reality, some 170 kilometers to the northeast of the anomaly. No aperture back into the corridor is visible or accessible from this location. Unusual patches of snow accumulate at regular intervals along the edges of the sidewalk in temperatures below 10 Celsius. The patches melt in warmer weather, but reaccumulate when the temperature falls. Addendum 6836-1 Context of Discovery The following historical background is provided as context for the Foundation's presence during and involvement in the discovery of the anomaly. This information may also be relevant in deciphering the cause and purpose of the anomaly's materialization, as well as the potential existential threat it poses. On 10 May 2021, Strathroy Caradoc Plaza, a shopping mall located at 1000 Plaza Boulevard in the township of Strathroy Caradoc, Ontario, Canada, was designated Outpost 232 under the supervision of Site 43. Its remit was to surveil an unusual preponderance of low-level GOI activity in the area. Site security and field surveillance were conducted by MTF Lambda 232 interference pattern under the command of Captain Rain Gallon, while research, veiled threat discernment, and GOI liaising were overseen by Dr. Bradley Fellows and a team of technicians and assistants. Inter-GOI tensions in the nearby city of London soon reached a critical point with the arrival of the exiled radical known as the Grey Capriote from Toronto and the injection of the members of his particularly adversarial faction into the local chainsaw capuchins. The immediate result was an occult turf war, pitting the chainsaw capuchins against the Royal Hylozoist Society. Shortly thereafter, the Atrian Nidus, capitalizing on the violent situation, made their presence in the city known by creating an untenable, anomalous, pathobiological situation. Outpost 232 was therefore redesignated a provisional site to serve as staging ground for veil-maintaining operations during the conflict. Addendum 6836-2 Discovery On 9 October 2021, an anomaly was discovered in the east wall of the east ground floor utility corridor of the Strathroy Caradoc Plaza. The incident report follows. Incident report 232-22407-1. Date, October 9, 2021. Officer of record, Rain Gallon, Captain, MTF Lambda 232, interference pattern. Approximately 1330 hours, Agent Bolio alerted me over handheld to a civilian-involved incident in utility corridor ground 1E. At 1340 hours, I arrived at the location of the incident to find, 
an apparently anomalous rectangular aperture in the east wall of the corridor. Agent Bolio and the non-foundation affiliated plaza maintenance technician apparently responsible for the discovery. Agent Bolio was attempting to offer a reasonable explanation to the civilian. The civilian was mopping the corridor. At 1400 hours after a brief interrogation, I was confident of the civilian's disinterest and compliance. I dispatched him to the first aid station to request an amnestic, assuring him they would know what it meant. His pronunciation was adequate. I then ordered Agent Bolio to stand watch over the aperture and contacted Agent Gow and Agent Stapleton to cordon off the corridor, thus barring further civilian access. The following reports detail Dr. Fellow's preliminary assessment of the anomaly and the results of early testing. Incident Report 6836-22407-1 Date 9 October 2021 Officer of Record Dr. Bradley Fellows Acting Director of Provisional Site 232 The aperture in the wall is rectangular and even edged, roughly the size of an interior door. Initial assessment indicates the aperture is anomalous. It opens to a sidewalk on an unidentified urban street, rather than the stockroom of Mandy's Candles and Bath Bombs as it should. No street signs or landmarks are visible through the aperture, and it would be irresponsible to attempt human traversal at this stage. My first priority was to locate the anomaly's terminus, assuming it exits to a point in baseline reality. I sent a technician to Big Brent's discount electronics in the plaza with orders to procure a quadrotor drone. While a drone exiting a portal in the middle of a sidewalk would be a not inconsiderable veil threat, I've decided that this risk is outweighed by the possibility of an open, visible portal or of people walking through it into the mall by accident. Not wishing to confront the ethical quandary of asking someone else to possibly sacrifice their phone, I allowed mine to be taped to the drone. The phone drone was sent through the aperture. It passed through to the other side without incident or visible indication. Captain Gallant used the Find a Phone app on his phone to determine the location of mine. We ascertained the location as Aaron Mills Parkway in Mississauga, Ontario. Captain Gallant immediately contacted MTF Epsilon 129, Queens Highwayman, and requested their presence at the terminus. Approximately 30 minutes later, Epsilon 129 were seen through the aperture to arrive at the terminus location. They contacted Captain Gallant to explain that the terminus did not appear to be visible at their end. Nevertheless, a cordon was established and a tent erected to obscure view of the area. In the interim, I called my contact with the intrepids of Vanth, whose volunteers we have thus far employed in lieu of D-Class personnel. An alarmingly short period given the expected drive time after Epsilon 129 completed the concealment tent in Cordon, an intrepid, calling himself Troy Divebomb, arrived at the plaza via Uber. Mr. Divebomb was escorted to the location of the anomaly by a waiting MTF agent. Immediately upon arriving, and despite the protestations of all present, the intrepid threw himself while shouting directly through the aperture. He survived the transit, 
to his vocal and animated disappointment, passing through without apparent injuries other than those sustained in his unceremonious landing on the other side. Epsilon-129 reported that he simply appeared in the space occupied by the Terminus, popping in without any noticeable visual effects. While he was still present, we asked the Intrepid to attempt walking back through the Terminus. No angle of approach allowed re-entry to our side, and visibly, from our end, he appeared to simply pop in and out as he passed through the space. Mr. Divebomb was given bus fare to return to London by the captain of Epsilon-129 and sent out of the tent. At this juncture, I decided to contact Site-43 for further expert consultation on the matter. Addendum 6836-3 Analysis Site-43 dispatched Dr. Heather Delacqua and her team from the quantum supermechanics section to assist with analysis of the anomaly. A construction crew was also dispatched to erect a permanent containment cell. Meeting Minutes 9 October 2021 So, what can you tell us about our weird portal thing? Well... I think it's some sort of weird portal thing. Fantastic, thanks. In all seriousness, though, this one is pretty atypical compared to what I usually see. There's such a thing as a typical magic portal? Funny you should say magic, but I'll circle back around to that. I mean, yeah, kinda. Most portals can be traversed from both ends, for example. This one, the exit end isn't even visible or easily detectable. That's pretty weird. And what's with the little snow piles? We clear them away and they come back after a few hours. Well, most portals are spatial flexures held open by a solitonic negative energy conduit, as I'm sure you know. I am not a physicist. Well, they are. The conduit extends beyond the ends of the portal itself, like a sleeve or a shunt, which is normal. For some reason, those snow patches are forming at specific structural points, line convergences, in the conduit but I'm not sure why. Worth noting, though, that the structure of this thing is very, very clean. What does that mean? Are you asking me what clean means? What does it imply? Well, this was definitely created intentionally. It's not some natural phenomenon or freak accident. I also suspect it's thaumaturgical, rather than parascientific. My instruments throw up tons of errors when scanning this thing, meaning the energies at work are detectable, but not readily identifiable. Also, parascience stuff like this tends to be kind of... grainy? In terms of structure, I mean. This is, like I said, clean, smooth. And that, in my experience, usually means thaumaturgy. Is there anything we can see in the structure of this that would suggest to you a reason it was created? Motive? No, not really. But if I was to take a total stab in the dark, I would say you should call 120. Ontokinetics. Yeah, like, I say this isn't a freak accident, but I'm wondering if it isn't some sort of accident? It just doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? It makes me think maybe someone tried to open a portal into another dimension or parallel universe or whatever the hell, and they fucked it up and got stuck with this dumb weird thing. Well, actually, we're stuck with it. Anyway, I'll reach out to 120. 
I was also wondering, though, what what would you expect to happen if, for example, someone passed through the portal while someone else was in the space occupied by the Terminus? Well, assuming no safeguards are built into the portal, which, though unlikely, is always the safest assumption, and assuming that physics on either side is relatively classical, you know, aside from the whole portal thing, the two masses would likely become forcefully physically overlaid. This would, of course, be fatal. It's also likely that at least some portion of the two masses would undergo a fusion reaction at the atomic level. That sounds undesirable. Oh, yeah. Assuming two adult humans, let's say about 150 pounds each, maybe like 30% mass fusion, you'd be looking at an explosion that would likely sterilize the eastern half of the continent and destabilize global climate patterns. Probably K-class event, or very near anyways. Well, thank you. Sincerely, this time. If nothing else, we now know what tests not to administer. Mind if I stick around? I kind of want to see where this goes. Oh, you're welcome to. I expect we'll need all the help we can get to figure this one out. Dr. Delacqua and her technical team remained at Provisional Site 232, and Dr. Fellows contacted Site 120 to arrange for consultation with experts in ontokinetics. Site 120 being in Poland, said experts would not arrive for two days. During the wait, Dr. Fellows made contact with three local Foundation-allied GOIs to consult with them about the anomaly. Meeting Minutes, 10 October, 2021 The participants in this conversation are as follows. Myself, Dr. Bradley Fellows, a gentlewoman druid of the highly theatrical animist GOI known as the Royal Hylozoist Society, Operating under the alias, I assume, and hope, Professor Theodosia Elmstone. A representative of the Red Circle, a GOI with extensive pan-indigenous integration in First Nation communities, and claiming pre-Beringian origins. He offered what I'm assuming is his real name, Pete Shawnu. A member of the Illuminus Rationalis, a fervently anti-theist magic order, who claim to employ a scientific approach to what otherwise appears to be conventional, though efficacious, European occultism. He gave the alias of Freder Ellenkoss. So, anything? You were right. It's definitely magical. I couldn't tell you much about the structure of it, but the spirits on both sides of the portal are acting... weird. The spirits, yes, the spirits. Though savage at the best of times, they are particularly... Excuse me, savage? Yes, there is a great disturbance in the spirit world. A nightmare in the ancestral dream. This is offensive. What you're doing is offensive. You're both either charlatans or superstitious fools. There's no such thing as spirits. That's merely your own projective apophenia. Clearly, it's an Einstein-Rosen bridge, a gateway in space and time. You call me a fool? How dare you? Why shouldn't I? It's obvious that you can You were saying, Mr. Shanu, acting weird. Uh, Pete, please, and yeah. A city spirit on the other side was trying to communicate. 
And, I mean, talking to spirits is always tricky. They aren't really using language, it's just symbolism. But it kind of turns into language when it touches you. Anyways, it was trying to say something about hatchlings becoming ancestral, axes emerging from self-hewn wood or something. I really couldn't tell you what it means. Nothing I've ever heard before. Interesting. Something to do with time? Causality? Way out of my wheelhouse, but I guess that sounds like it makes sense. Causality, yes. Just as I said, a gateway through space and time. None of this primitive spirit, mumbo-jumbo. You insolent upstart! You know nothing! You dress our timeless traditions in the trappings of modern tea, but you're just a snake or salesman. Can I go? Yeah, thanks for taking a look, Pete. Anytime, Doc. Doctors Albert Wandernoth and Weigand and Netzberger, experts in extra-dimensionality and multi-cosmology from Site-120's Department of Ontokinetics arrived at Provisional Site-232 the following day. Present technical staff, including Dr. Delacqua's team, assisted them in setting up equipment and gathering data. Meeting Minutes, 11 October, 2021. Doctors. Dr. Fellows. Yes, Dr. Fellows. Thanks again for making the trip. It is our pleasure. Fascinating and strange, the thing you have here. Our pleasure, yes. Your team's findings? Yes, findings, the data. Dr. Nadsberger? Thank you, Dr. Wondernuff. Hume levels are within expected parameters, and I see nothing to suggest Dr. Delacqua's suppositions. All evidence suggests this portal was open to bridge these two points in this reality. An accidental perforation of space would not end up so careful and orderly, even if it began that way. Too many unforeseen perturbations acting upon the conduit lattice structure. Too many perturbations. Far too many perturbations. But couldn't that explain maybe why the portal only works one way? Why the exit isn't just inaccessible but invisible, almost entirely undetectable? Wouldn't the only explanation be some sort of fold or wrinkle or pocket or something in space, I mean? It is true that this is strange. We do not have an explanation to offer for this apparent intangibility. What you say would indeed explain this, but it is, per our readings, not the case. Beyond the portal itself, there exists at this location no unexpected spatial flexure of any kind. None, nothing. Yes. However, unable to discount possibility of precisely identical parallel universe where exact copies are conducting exact same tests. Yes, this conjecture is the universal non-excludable, and while it must be accounted for, it is unhelpful as a consideration. Oh, okay, but what else could be happening here? Something has to be making the Terminus act the way it does. Doctors, I'm not saying I disagree with your findings, but there has to be some sort of answer to this. There's a sound of papers rustling as Dr. Wandernoth seemingly having a thought, examines his equipment readouts. Dr. Wandernoth holds up a paper to Dr. Renetzberger, pointing at something. The two doctors speak in hushed tones, indiscernible to Dr. Fellows and the recording. Did you find something? There is a possibility. My colleague has directed my attention to an anomaly in the data collection. An anomaly? Yes, yes, here. Dr. Wandernoth slides the page across the table with one finger pointing to a waveform diagram flanked by two bar graphs. 
thought at time must be a result of unexpected interactions between formations apparent thaumatological structure and instruments as does not seem possible reading no no. Dr. Fellows stares blankly at the diagram. Can you explain what it means? This is not my area of expertise. These are measurements of ambient Hume levels on either side of the formation. They are as expected and thus they are irrelevant. This is a measurement of the Hume flow through the portal itself. Here, there is a trough. This should be a peak. A trough here is impossible in this context, or it should be. My colleague had thought this was the result of instrument confusion from the magics. It may be, or it may be of significance. Why is that? Should be impossible? Yes, peak bradionic. Trough, tachyonic. Wait, tachyonic, like faster than light? Faster than light, or backwards in time. The three doctors sit in silence. So this is something I should ask Delacqua about then, I guess? She may be of help, but we will also contact an associate of ours in chronometrics division. I'm not familiar with them. Many are not. Dr. Fellow's report on his initial contact with Dr. Danica as a party of chronometrics division and the irregular circumstances surrounding her visit a day later is appended verbatim. Meeting Minutes, 12 October, 2021 Dr. Wandernoth gave me the contact information of one Dr. Azapardi, a Foundation scientist from something called the Chronometrics Division. I asked Wandernoth what time zone she was in for the purposes of calling her during business hours, and he replied that he was unsure, cryptically adding that she may not be. As it was now evening... I decided to wait until late morning on the following day to call Dr. Azapardi. I was instead awoken in the very early morning by an unexpected call. Our brief exchange follows. Hello, Dr. Bradley Fellows, provision, directing, acting. Hello? Dr. Fellows. Hi, sorry to wake you. It's Dr. Azapardi. Chronometrics? Dr. Azapardi. Wandernoth, give you my number. I was intending to call you. Yeah, I got your number from when you called me. I didn't call you, though. Well, you did, later today. Pardon? It's unusual, I know, but I got excited after you told me about the anomaly and I didn't want to wait. I know you've got a weird one. I don't remember what you told me, but I wanted to hear about it early, so I called as soon as I was able to remember your number. So, could you tell me what this is? Uh, well, it's a portal of sorts. Visible at the entrance, but invisible and unusable at the exit. Apparently non-fatally human-traversable and human-compliant. But the 120 guys, Annettsberger and Wandernoth, they said the Hume flow through the portal conduit was tachyonic and suggested I call you, so that's what I was going to... I can't wait to see it! Can you provide me with your address? I could remember your number, but not the address. Oh, of course. Of, of course. It's 1000 Plaza Boulevard, Strathroy, 
I'll be there. In the future. Like, after this. This right now. But not a lot. Only a bit after. Soon. I'll see you then, Dr. Isaacbarty. Then. Several hours later, Dr. Azapardi arrived alone, without a vehicle or any apparent use of public transit. She provided me with identification and top-level clearance. At first, she produced a card with the logo reading, Seoul Central Local Bubble High Command, which she quickly pocketed, saying, Oops, not that yet, wrong one, before showing me a level 5 clearance document. Shortly after her arrival, I and several other staff members began to experience what I thought at first were headaches. I subsequently realized the pain seemed localized an inch or so behind my head. Dr. Azapardi assured us that this was a normal consequence of her being early and that we'd feel fine after renormalization in several hours. Dr. Azapardi enlisted the assistance of several already on-site technical personnel. The sight of one technician, whose services she did not retain, appeared to cause her distress, briefly moving her to tears. Her tests and observations persisted until the next afternoon and included two transits, followed by her busing back to London from Mississauga. She remained visibly excited through all of this. Her findings are presented as follows. Hello again, Dr. Azapardi. Hi, Brad. So what can Shit, you- sorry. Dr. Fellows, the Brad thing is later. Right. Um, so, Dr. Azapardi, what can you tell me Ooh, about- Oh, I was you? right. You got a weird one here. So the portal is ever so slightly displaced out of the regular timeline, which- oh, Hold on. Sorry. Clarification. Displaced forwards or backwards? Kind of more like... Sideways? As a whole. It's still present, moving through with us, but it's been folded inside out. Or like, extruded through itself. That's why what we call the entrance is visible to us, because it's always moving towards us from slightly in the future. But we can't see the what we call the exit, because it's slightly in the past, moving away from us. But also, those aren't correct. The past and future parts, you mean? No, the entrance-exit part. The exit is the entrance for who or whatever made this, and the entrance is the exit. They came from that sidewalk in Mississauga into the corridor. Or they will come. Or they have already, but after this. That part is kind of hard to express. We didn't see any intruders, and it's been nearly a week since it opened. Well, the intruder clearly has, or at least has the ability to assume, an irregular coupling to the causation vector. It's possible they came through and weren't visible to us, or weren't recognizable as an intruder. Or it's possible that even though the portal opened in our past, that the intruder entered in what we see as our future. Why would they be coming here, though? And like this. This is a public place. They could just walk in. Surely that would be easier. Maybe, but they wouldn't be able to access the containment cell. We built the containment cell to contain the portal. So well, that's that... how it seems now. But maybe you built the cell to contain something else, and they opened the portal to retrieve that something from the cell. But because of the order of things, it now looks to us like we built the cell for the portal since we haven't put the, the MacGuffin, I suppose, into the cell. I also see that this place is fast becoming a site in its own right, what with its accretion of scientists. Yes, because of the portal. Again. Maybe, but I'd be careful using becauses around this. Things may not be so simple or straightforward, or even straight backward for you anymore, or yet. Okay, let me come back to this in a moment. 
I noticed you observing the snow piles collecting along the sidewalk. Do you have an explanation of some sort for those? Hmm? Oh, right, those, yeah. Nothing too interesting, really. They're formed by pockets of localized chronometric impedance agglomerating around confluence points in the exit conduit's thaumaturgical lattice structure. Haven't seen it before, but it makes sense, really. Oh, yes, perfect sense. But why no snow on this side? Is the localized chronometric impedance different on this side because... I don't know, time or something? I think it's just because we're indoors. <sighs> okay, Doctor has a party. So, what's the verdict here? No immediate threat, but we should keep an eye out for an intruder to pass through backwards or who may already be here? Yeah, that seems like it might end up being worth doing, maybe. We should also consider trying to figure out what, if I'm right, that containment cell was built for before the portal's appearance confused everything. Or indeed, what caused all of us to gather here aside from that? If you are correct, and the portal was opened, or will be, or whatever, to remove something from the containment cell, what do we do with that? Do we just follow regular containment procedures and not let it be taken? Or will that even be possible? Honestly, I'm not sure. We may be obligated to place the MacGuffin in the cell to allow it to be taken. Obligated? Causally. Like, that's what has to happen because it already did, because that's why the portal exists, and it's why the cell was built, and it's why we are gathered, etc., etc. So we may be causally obligated to violate our own containment procedures? Assuming we can even figure out what it was. If we don't? Also hard to say. Maybe nothing happens. Maybe it just happens on its own without this version of us needing to do anything. Or we might die, or get replaced, or the portal might explode, or implode, or something else a different way. Or maybe reality unravels. We should definitely try. We definitely will. Thank you for the assistance, Dr. Esparty. This is the nearest anyone's come to answering the questions posed by this thing. I trust you won't mind if I stick around? I'm not sure that we could even figure this thing out without you. Dr. Esparty deemed the anomaly sufficiently contained at present, but warranting further investigation. Taking into account the anomaly's unresolved implications, the accumulation of scientists and technicians at the provisional site, and continually escalating GOI tensions in the London area, Dr. Fellows applied to Overwatch Command for full site status. The facility was resultantly redesignated Site 232 on 20 October 2021. Notice from the records and information security administration this file contains one pending update addendum 6836-4 present considerations the following is an informal update by assistant director dr bradley fellows on changing conditions at site 232 and the ongoing investigation into the anomaly from the office of the assistant director. January 15th, 2022. Three months have passed since the appearance of SCP-6836. Site-232's mission has progressed, and we are now containing several anomalies which would have otherwise been bound for the already overtaxed staff at Site-43. On a related note, I've stepped aside as acting site director and a proper site director has taken my place. She's proven to be an invaluable asset in our ongoing endeavors to maintain Vale integrity 
through the GOI conflict in London. Nevertheless, our investigation into the matter of the anomaly's causal obligation and the possibly disastrous, even eschatological ramifications thereof, has stalled. While the others have moved on to other investigations and pursuits, I find myself unable to put this concern from my mind. I have attempted to reach out to my contacts and chronometrically adept, foundation-friendly GOIs. My email to Anacron777 of the Vapor Augers was responded to by his colleague Year Zero, who informed me that the former was unable to answer as he was transiently unborn, whatever that means. Basalt Dolman of the Wardens of the Elder Zodiac has an automated voicemail message informing me that she would return my call when she was again embodied. Finally, I asked the director. She muttered something about the stellar hair specs before vanishing again, leaving behind her clothes in a pile, glasses perched atop for me to fold. I've repeatedly asked her not to do this while I'm looking at her, since it gives me a headache and makes me taste baking soda, so I'm pretty sure it isn't good for me. She has yet to heed my request. At the time of this writing, she has not returned. But this is not without precedent, and I expect she'll be back soon. I dare to hope with answers. The problem remains unsolved. And yet, looking around at what we have built, what this site has become, I dread the possibility that perhaps our gathering was the sole and actual purpose of all this. That the portal is not part of some heist to abscond with an anomalous object, or an escape route, or an entry point, but merely a lure. And we took the bait. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, join my Discord community, hire me on Fiverr, or help support me by becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month. Regardless of tier, all patrons get early access to every single episode. The links are in the description. I don't have the talent it takes to write a skip. All I do is read. Original authors make this podcast possible, so credit to the original author. Their link's in the description. Show them some love as well. Consider becoming a member of the SCP Wiki, upvote their work, and maybe write a skip of your own. Maybe I'll read it here someday. You never know if you never try. The content of this podcast and content relating to the SCP Foundation, including the SCP Foundation logo, is licensed under Creative Commons ShareLight 3.0, and all concepts originate from scpwiki.com and its authors. This recording being derived from this content is hereby also released under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0.